Welcome to the Thrive Theology Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Bethany. We're two Christian women who aim to be grounded in the Word and understand how it applies to our lives. We're passionate about making Christian theology accessible for every woman and equipping others to seek an intimate relationship with Christ. Stay tuned as we dive into today's topic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thrive Theology Podcast. Today, Emily and I are going to bring you some church history. We have another By Faith episode for you, and we're turning it into a double feature. We're going to talk about Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, and we're probably going to say his name a couple different ways. Sorry about that. It's just a weird spelling. But it's going to be exciting. Before we start, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you listen. Um, You can find more information on our website, thrivetheology.com. We would love to interact with you more on that. And here we go. So just before we get into the details of Justin Martyr's life, we're going to give you a general timeline so that you have in your mind um, roughly when these events took place. So in 30 AD was the crucifixion of Jesus and Pentecost. In 65 AD, Peter and Paul are martyred. In 70 AD, Titus destroys the city of Jerusalem. In the 90s AD, John, um, the last apostle, dies. And that brings us up to 100 AD when Justin Martyr is born. Um, Irenaeus is born in 130 AD. In 165 AD, Justin Martyr dies. In 180 AD, Irenaeus writes against heresies, and Irenaeus dies in 202 AD. So that's probably a lot of dates and names that you're not super familiar with, and that's okay. Um, We're trying to give you a bit of an intro to Christian history. So we're actually going to take a snapshot of this timeline and put it on our stories and highlights on Instagram if you want to see those. Um, Okay, so first we're going to talk about Justin Martyr. Um, Justin Martyr was born around 100 AD, which is 70 years after Jesus's death. He was born in Flavia Neapolis, which is actually the ancient Canaanite city of Shechem, which you may recognize from Genesis chapter 33 and 34. It's the modern day Nablus in the Palestinian territories. So if you want, go look it up on a map. Justin was very serious about philosophy, and he explored various schools of thought. Um, One of them was Stoicism. Um, He looked into the philosophical system of the Hellenistic period, which held that emotions such as fear, envy, and passionate love came from false judgments, and wise people would not hold these emotions. Basically, hey, emotions aren't super helpful. After Stoicism, um, Justin wasn't satisfied with that, so he studied under an Aristotelian philosopher, but this man in particular was a little bit more concerned with being paid than finding truth, and because Justin was so passionate about finding the truth, he just moved on. After that, Justin studied Pythagoreanism, which you might recognize the name of. Um, This was established by the philosophy of Greek philosopher Pythagoras, who highly valued a very structured lifestyle and promoted the idea that humans are reincarnated as another human or animal after they die. You may recognize that name from the Pythagorean theorem that you learned in math class in high school. And that's because this this guy, Pythagoras, really like became a bit of a 
model in Greek philosophy to the point where his beliefs were just so distorted by everybody that he had a mathematical formula made after him, even though he himself was not a mathematician. After Pythagoreanism, um, Justin moved on to study Platonism, which, um, of course, is the philosophy of Greek philosopher Plato. And Plato held the view that abstract objects exist, meaning that the object doesn't exist in either time or space. And all of these just really left him empty. Around 130 to 132 AD, Justin was converted to Christianity, and he brought his philosopher's mind to his newfound religion. He sought to reconcile the truth of Christianity with the intellectual reason he had been taught to value in those other schools of thought. His conversion had actually come about from his interaction with an old man. Um, We actually don't want anything about this old man, aside from the fact that he told Justin about the prophets of the Old Testament and about Jesus's fulfillment of these prophecies. This man also exposed the intellectual problems with, of the philosophers whose schools of thought Justin had been studying. So he basically showed him, oh, gave him a window into um, the Old Testament and Jesus, which is super cool. Because Justin really prioritized bringing philosophy into Christianity, some sources do actually name him as the very first Christian philosopher, which isn't very hard for me to believe considering how early in the church he lived and studied. So in 132 AD, Justin traveled to Ephesus, which is the same city that the book of Ephesians was written to. Um, And some sources believe he may have actually been converted to Christianity in Ephesus. Um, Most of the sources I looked at said he was converted and then went on his trip. He started traveling and talking about Christianity. But some sources also said that he became a Christian in Ephesus. When he was in Ephesus, he actually disputed with a Jewish man named Trypho. So in this dispute, Justin argued for three main points. One, that the old covenant was passing away um, for the new and that the new was replacing it. Number two, that the logos uh, is God of the Old Testament. And three, that the Gentiles were the new Israel, that they would replace the Jews as God's chosen people. And you maybe have heard this before. It sounds very similar to covenant theology that we discussed in an earlier episode. So Justin's account of arguing against these three points is recorded in his work, Dialogue with Trypho. And some sources list the name of this work, Dialogue with the Jew Tryphon, instead. After this, Justin also founded a Christian school in the city of Rome itself. Around 150 to 155 AD, Justin wrote First Apology, sometimes called Major Apology, which wasn't actually an apology. He wasn't saying he was sorry. It was rather a written work of a defense of the faith. The term apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means defense or to give a reason for. He wrote this to the emperor at that time, Emperor Antonius Pius, in order to explain the faith in a reasonable way and that Christians were actually highly valuable as citizens. He was defending the accusations that Christianity was atheistic and hostile. Um, atheistic meaning that the Christians didn't believe in the gods of Rome. He also wrote and explained why Christianity is better than pagan religions and how other religions are poor knockoffs of Christianity. 
So this first apology writing by Justin Martyr has a lot of attention nowadays in the modern church because in it, Justin records an account of what worship gatherings in the early church looked like. So this I found was super interesting. Um, I'm going to read this to you. It's just three short paragraphs, um, but you will probably find it really interesting how the church in the second century was gathering and celebrating together. Justin's writing says this, On the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. Next, we all rise together and send up prayers. When we cease from our prayer, bread is presented and wine and water. The president in the same manner sends up prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people sing out their assent, saying the amen. A distribution and participation of the elements for which thanks has been given is made to each person, and to those who are not present, they are sent by the deacons. Those who have means and are willing, each according to his own choice, gives what he wills, and what is collected is deposited with the president. He provides for the orphans and widows, those who are in need on account of sickness or some other cause, those who are in bonds, strangers who are sojourning, and in a word, he becomes the protector of all who are in need. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. I feel like we go back to Acts and we're like, oh, they were so long ago, like they're Christians of the Bible. But like reading this, it's like, you know, they're people, like they they do the same thing kind of that we do. And someday we'll get to meet them which is the coolest thing. I think it's particularly interesting that they would send the elements of communion to the people who weren't there. Like the deacons would take it to the people who were sick and couldn't come to church. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, In 161 AD, Marcus Aurelius became emperor. He's a pretty famous emperor. And shortly after this, Justin wrote his second work, Second Apology. Similar to first apology, Justin again tried to show the true rationality of the Christian faith. Remember, he had been, um, he had studied in the rationality and philosophy of Rome before he became a Christian, so he understood it. He also argues that the Christians are being wrongly persecuted by the Roman government. The second apology was much more brief than first apology. In 165 AD, just four years after he writes Second Apology, Justin and six of his followers were arrested for their faith. When they refused to make a sacrifice to the God and deny their faith, they were taken out and beheaded. Justin was later given the surname Martyr because he gave his life for true philosophy, meaning the philosophy of God. And the Catholic Church canonized Justin Martyr as a saint, making his feast day June 1st. Justin made quite a few contributions to the church. That's kind of the reason that we're talking about him on our podcast. And as we mentioned earlier, his first apology has been instrumental in our modern day understanding of how the early church celebrated the sacraments of the Eucharist slash communion, depending on which denomination you're in, as well as baptism. 
Justin also contributed his distinct views on God's divine plan throughout history and his plan of salvation. So meaning that Christ was God incarnate, not that, you know, it was different. He was coming up against some of the different issues of his day. For the modern church, Justin was an important witness for the New Testament canon. So he actually mentioned in his writings the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which proves that they existed um, by the time that he was writing um, in the middle of the second century, as well as quoting various letters from both Peter and Paul. And he is actually also the first known writer to quote from the book of Acts. So one thing that we look for when we are looking at the canon of scripture is validation that these books that we call the New Testament were actually written in the time period that they claim to have been written. And we talked about that in our earlier episode on how we got the New Testament. So you can listen to that for more information. In his writings, Justin also hinted at the doctrine of the Trinity, that is one God, three persons, many years before Tertullian would actually lay out the concept of the Trinity and make it official, the official position of the Christian church. More than 150 years after Justin's death, Christianity would be accepted and promoted by the Roman Empire. So next we're going to talk about another church father. His name was Irenaeus. And I I did want to give a a bit of a precursor to this, um, only because a lot of time, the time we have a different idea about geography in Bible times, um, we tend to focus just on the Roman Empire. Um, But the Roman Empire actually extended all the way to France, and they tried and did for a little bit hold parts of Great Britain, like England, current day England. And so when we talk about this sort of geography, Irenaeus was actually the bishop of Lyon, which is actually in modern day France. So that gives you a bit of an idea of how far the church has spread at this point in history. So Irenaeus was born in Smyrna in Asia Minor around 130 AD, but we actually don't know like much else about his growing up years. Um, again, if you maybe have read in Revelation, there is a letter to the church at Smyrna. What um, was their what was their issue again, Smyrna? Oh, I forget. I don't have my Bible close by to look at the notes from the church service that we were had a while ago. Do you we'll know? have to check. <laughs> I'll have to look. <laughs> So um, Irenaeus studied under Polycarp, which if you don't know, he was a disciple of the apostle John. Um, He's very instrumental in the early church as well. And then Irenaeus moved to Rome to study under Justin Martyr, who we just talked about. Before 177 AD, um, he moved to the area called Lyon in modern day France. And I'm going to say that funny every time I say it because it's kind of a funny name. In my English opinion. Fun of French people. Okay. I know. Marcus Aurelius, who, like we mentioned a moment ago, was the emperor at this time, carried out a violent persecution campaign in Lyon in 177 AD, but Irenaeus escaped it because he was on a trip to carry a letter to Rome. On his return a year later in 178 AD, he was made the Bishop of Lyon as the previous bishop had died possibly from persecution. We're not sure. That would make sense, but that hasn't been confirmed. So in 1945, the Nag Hammadi Library was discovered. And until this discovery, most of what was known of Gnosticism was from Arrhenius' writings defending Christianity against it. 
Gnosticism is something that we do still see tracings of today. It was a really big heresy that the early church dealt with that they had to fight against a lot, but we didn't know much about it. It was mentioned in the Gospels, um, or rather the um, the epistles in the New Testament, but we didn't know much about it um, until the discovery of this library. And until we found this library, most of what we knew is from Irenaeus's writings. Often the Catholic Church uses Irenaeus to support the apostolic succession and the papacy by extension, but his writings are actually claiming that the bishop's teachings could be all traced back to the apostles and Jesus, rather than their apostolic authority. This was more to protect the church from false teachings creeping in that did not come from the apostles, and to call attention to the true and verified teachings of the quote-unquote scriptures at that time. Also, tracing teachings back was not too hard as the church was only about a century old. So Irenaeus could trace his teaching all the way back to the Apostle John and thus to Jesus. Irenaeus was widely influential in the early church, and when he died around um, 202 AD, the influence of Gnosticism had diminished. There are claims that he was martyred, but not enough to say that with certainty. And he was canonized by the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Churches. So now we're going to take a minute and talk about Irenaeus's contributions to the church. So as we mentioned earlier, um, Irenaeus wrote the work Against Heresies, and this is also known as Against All Heresies. This work was written as a defense of the apostolic and true teachings of Jesus and against the heresies of Marcion, Gnosticism, and Valentinianism. So now we're going to take a minute and just walk through these different heresies so that you have a better understanding of what Irenaeus was up against when he was writing this defense. So first of all, Marcionism um, says that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New, and therefore Jesus was not God. The God of the Old Testament, they say, was a lesser God known as a demiurge. They also state that Jesus was not human, he just appeared to be human. Marcion claimed that the Old Testament is not authoritative for Christians and cut out large portions of the New Testament that didn't agree with his ideas. And I think as we talk through these heresies, you're going to see similarities with false theologies today. So, for example, there are a lot of um, progressive Christians out there who say that they can't reconcile the fact that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New. And they talk about how the God of the Old Testament was not really God. And they'll say that Jesus is the true representative of God and that the wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament is not possibly the same God as the New Testament. Another thing too, as we go through these different heresies, we're not going to refute each one individually. I think that if you know much of the Bible, you're going to have a pretty good idea of why Christians would disagree with these. So you're going to, you're going to be able to get why these are heresies. We're not going to go ahead and biblically defend um, or go against each one of them. So the next one is Gnosticism. This is, like Emily said, rampant in 
um, Christianity or people who claim to be Christians today. So there's that, that, that verse in um, Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. So it's true. We're sitting here in 2020 and we're there. We're still trying to deal with Gnosticism. So basically matter, bad spirit, good. That's the, that's most of what they teach. So our flesh is evil, meaning that Jesus wasn't actually a fleshy human, um, but that he appeared to be human claims. They also claim that real life is in the spirit realm only. So anything done in the flesh doesn't actually have effects on the spirit world. Um, They also claim to have, this is the biggest part of it. They claim to have a special knowledge of God and that having that divine knowledge is what actually leads to salvation. So all of the different teachings of Gnosticism are going to flow from this main thought that the flesh is evil and the spirit is good. And they're going to deny that Jesus was actually human. We're talking no incarnation, no crucifixion, no bodily resurrection, which are the fundamentals of Christianity. Yeah, and I think we also talk a little bit about some of their weird stuff when we discussed some of the Gnostic Gospels in our canonization of the New Testament episode, if you want to hear more about that. Those were kind of fun. (laughs) So our last heresy that we're going to discuss right now is Valentinianism. Valentinus was a well-respected orator in Rome. When he lost the position of the Bishop of Rome, he left and re-emerged as a proponent of Gnosticism. So he claimed that his knowledge came from secret information from Paul, but it clearly was false. Um, His ideas did not line up with the writings of Paul. His ideas started with cosmology and a primal being named Bythos, who created other gods. Among his teachings are the ideas that the spirit realm and physical realm did not mix, so no incarnation, crucifixion, or bodily resurrection of Christ. He also said that there is a hierarchy of humans. So the first level would be spiritual beings who could understand the spiritual things and return to the Godhead. Two, normal believers who would go into a mediocre heaven. And three, unbelievers. So throughout all three of these um, heresies, we're seeing common threads of Gnosticism, um, but just with slightly different nuances. So these are the three different heresies that he is writing in his book against heresies. He also in these writings quotes from every New Testament book except for the chapter of, or except for 3 John and this is used to shore up the claims of the New Testament canon being formed early and its authenticity among the early church. I will say here that he does give some of the um, ex- he does give some of the extra biblical writings some authority as well. Um, said like the Clement, first Clement, etc. So, but you know, he quotes from every New Testament book except for Third John. Irenaeus combats the quote secret knowledge claims of Gnosticism by writing that the teachings of the apostles were widely available in every church and that they were not hidden for a reason. So, a, a lot of these um, heresies claim that they had special knowledge from Paul that has been hidden, that they're now, they're now being revealed and, and that by having this special knowledge, that's how you become divine. And Irenaeus is like, no, like we all know this. We've all been taught this. We can all trace our authority back to, um, the apostles from, from our teaching. And these teachings are available because at this point, the books of the new Testament had been circulated among the church. 
his work, The Proof of Apostolic Teaching, is all about preaching with an emphasis on the fact that Christ fulfilled the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, that that should be one of the basics that you preach on almost all the time. We only have copies of these two works. There is evidence that Irenaeus wrote other um, works and that all of them were widely circulated around the church and they were used to fight the heretical ideas that were threatening the church. And like we said before, in his lifetime, Irenaeus saw the influence of Gnosticism greatly diminish among the church. And you can imagine something that you've been fighting for for a very long time, um, or fighting against rather, and starting to see winning would be really awesome. And that's something I think when we're trying to defend the faith against other heresies and other unbiblical ideas, that there is hope that we can help people to see the true the truth of Christianity. Okay, so that's all for our episode today on Justin Martyr and Irenaeus. We also have a quick announcement about our summer release schedule. So we did this last summer and it worked out really well for us and we want to do that again this summer. So for the months of June and July, we will be releasing an episode every other week rather than every week. So you'll get episodes a little less often, um, but we're hoping to just be consistent and that way we can keep giving you some new content while also taking a bit of a break ourselves. So hopefully you will still... Um, be tuning in with us and joining us as we continue to release new content throughout the summer. You'll get an episode in your feed every other Thursday, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing to release new content for you. We do have some recommended resources for you, just a couple of articles about both of those men, and we will link them um, in the description of this episode if you'd like to check them out and learn more. If you'd like any more information on the podcast, or if you'd like to check out some of our blog posts, you can do so over at our website, thrivetheology.com. You can get a hold of us there. You can contact us. Um, you can share this episode with your friends there, or just poke around for previous episodes as well and show notes. You can also find us on Instagram at Thrive Theology. You can find us on Facebook at Thrive Theology. And you can join our Facebook discussion group there as well. So we'll chat with you next week. Bye.